Well, good morning, everybody. Um, so I'm really excited to come, after, come up after that announcement. Um, Corey asked me before, like, should I do this before? Should I do this afterwards? Um, so now that the, the, the hard news has come down, it should be hopeful news, really. But that news has come down. I get to, to flesh this out a little bit because I believe this is something that God has put on our hearts to do. Um, not just, I think sometimes we, we see this um, building projects and we think, okay, well, there's the church going again, asking for money, trying to get nicer things. Um, and I think if you know the DNA and the heart behind what we do here at Third Street, first of all, um, we, we do need nicer things. Like the bathrooms are falling apart. I just used it this morning and the ceiling has a hole in it. So, um, so, so we, we need to update. This building is a gift to us for a dollar. Um, we need, we need to update God's ready for, for, for that next step for us. Right. But beyond that, it's, it's exactly what Corey said, man, we're, we are, we are committed to this community. Um, we are committed to seeing this community restored. We're committed to seeing this community uplifted, dignified, um, and, and redeemed in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. So like Corey said, my name's Deshaun. Everybody calls me dish. Um, feel free to do that as well. Um, I am a social pastor here and I get to, I get to, to preach every once in a while. So today I get the distinct honor to start us off in a new series, right? So last week, who was here for Easter? I know there's more review than that. Let's, let's do that again. Who was here for Easter last week? Okay. Yes. So, so we celebrated last week, uh, the, the, the culmination of, of the work of God redeeming us back to him. Uh, in the person of Christ, in the person of Jesus. Uh, we celebrated, and it was an amazing time, and I just, I, it was just a rich, amazing time to be here. So if you did not have a really good reason uh, to, to be here, I, I, and you, you really missed out, I'm sorry for you. You missed out, right? But thankfully, thankfully, this church doesn't just, we don't just preach the gospel on Easter. We don't just, just stop at Easter. We preach the gospel every single time you will come here on a Sunday, Every single time you'll come here on a Monday, every single time you volunteer and come here on a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Friday or a Saturday, if you're going to come hoop and you're one of the 40 year olds who's trying to hang on to the glory days on a Sunday at some point, you will hear the gospel. You may not hear it. You may you may just see it lived out. But that is the core of who we are at Third Street. Amen. So. Um, I, I also just want to reiterate how much. Uh, we need volunteers. I, I said it before. I'm going to say it again. Um, if you weren't here last night, it was amazing. You missed out. Sorry. Next year, March 20, 2023, Corey said it. We want to see you here. Um, but we need to see the church kind of come together. We need some volunteers. And I'm, I'm, I'm harping on it because I feel like we said it before and we said it last night. We need, we need, we need y'all to step up. Right. We need we need we need people to come in and help with child care uh, because because we can't function and we can't grow and we can't expand um, unless unless we have hands and feet working together. OK. All right. Now, that's that's all I got for that. Now I'm jumping in. All right. So thanks. You, thank you for bearing with me on that. All right. So um, we celebrated Easter last week. We talked about how Jesus uh, he, he overcame death. We, we recapped how Jesus became our, our bridge, our, our salvation, our redemption. Uh, we, we talked about how now because 
Jesus died and rose again, that resurrection means that we then get to experience God in a new way every single day. And that's a great message. That's a great thing to know. But what happens after that? What happens after claiming that redemption for yourself? What happens after you say, yes, Jesus, we see your sacrifice. We feel it. Now, how do I live every single day out, right? Um, Our heart here at Third Street is that when we receive that message, we we would share it out. We would, at every step of the way, explain what the gospel is. And so what I want to do is I want to break down our vision, and then we're going to get into the word of how Jesus revealed himself and how his disciples and how the people he revealed himself to started to live out that truth. So at Third Street, our vision is to see families and neighborhoods gathered together, united by Christ, dedicated to family renewal, all for a Christ-centered, restored city. And our core beliefs that guide that is that we are a church seeking to know Jesus and live on mission in our neighborhoods and networks where God calls us. Our foundational beliefs are rooted in his word. Now, our beliefs, if you want to see them broken down, they're on the website at thirdstreetchurch.com if you haven't checked them out. But I feel like we need to come back every once in a while and say, you know, we are a church based on the gospel. We received that gospel message, and now we're going to live that out, and this is how we're going to do it. So I'm going to pray. We're going to jump into the word as you have been waiting with bated breath to hear what God has to say. Lord, thank you. Uh, Thank you for your vision. Thank you for your dreams that you put on us. Thank you that you choose us in our brokenness. Thank you that you choose us in our flaws. Thank you that you choose us in our weakness, God, to show out your glory. Thank you that six plus years ago, this this dream started to become a reality of this church, of this, this body of people committed to to seeing your redemption, and this place became uh, a hub for that. And so, Lord, now as we look out into the future, as as we look forward to what you're going to do, Lord, we also reflect back on the testimony of what you have done, because that's what's got us here. We reflect back on the goodness, the grace, the mercy that you have poured out on us. And, Lord, we trust in you for what you're going to do next. Lord, both corporately as a church and personally as your followers. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, we're starting a new series and I get the honor of being the introductory preacher to this message and I, I'm excited. Um, like I said, Easter just passed and we just celebrated all these things and, and knowing what uh, the, what we really claim our faith after. So I think it's appropriate to talk about what happened afterwards. Now, I like to think about, in reality, what actually occurred to the disciples after Jesus was resurrected. We get to celebrate. We get to dress in our ties and our Sunday best, and we get to have a great time celebrating and reflecting. But you think about the disciples. After having seen their teacher, their rabbi, having been beaten, having been dragged through the streets, having been tortured, having been crucified on a cross, and then dying a brutal, painful death. His disciples were not about to celebrate. His disciples were gone. They took off. They're like, I'm out of here. That's not happening to me. Not in the name of Jesus. It's not happening to me. So they had to watch all this. You got to imagine that they had fear. They were fearful about what just happened 
to Jesus, that that would happen to them. They feared maybe that this Jesus, who he said he was, man, maybe that, maybe that wasn't true. Was I, was I following the wrong guy? Because he, he, he could have brought himself down off the cross. Why, why didn't he? He's dead. It's been a day. Oh, man, he's not back yet. He said he would be back. How could he just die? Now, if that was a motion picture, if that was a movie, that would be the worst ending to a movie ever. It would get like 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. And the movie Cats got 19%, so you know that would be terrible. <laughs> sorry, not sorry, if you love cats. It's a terrible idea. 19% was generous. So an ending like that would be hopeless, unsatisfying, disorienting, much like the movie Cats. <laughs> I'm back, sorry. If Jesus would have stayed buried, if Jesus would have stayed in the grave, yes, he would have been a great rabbi. He would have been a great teacher. He would have been a great example. But he would not have been the Messiah. He would not have been the Messiah. An ending like that would leave his followers, yes, disoriented, lost. Identity would have been completely just gone. He had to fulfill the prophecies that were spoken about him. In Psalm 16, David pens the words that say that he will not leave my body to rot in Sheol. And that's a prophecy looking forward to what Jesus, what would happen to Jesus. God would not leave his son to rot in hell. He knew that he was going to resurrect. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah pens there that, that uh, he would see his offspring, that Jesus, that the Messiah would see his offspring, basically meaning he would, he would not stay dead. And Jesus had to fulfill this prophecy. His followers knew this because they recited the Torah in their everyday going. They knew it back and forth, up and down. They knew what to look for in the Messiah. His followers knew this. His critics knew this. The Pharisees that were trying to kill him, that did, in fact, kill him, they knew that he had to fulfill this prophecy, and they were waiting to see what would happen. All the bystanders knew this. His claims about himself had to be verified somehow. Verified means to prove something true, right? To verify something is, is yes, I prove that that thing is true. Something may be impossible. It's true. Ten years from now, Third Street, Martin Center, Tikva. Wow, that building, that ministry, the reach that they have. I can't believe six years ago they had this 100-year-old building and they are max capacity. Verify it. Look, go back to this sermon on April 20, whatever this is, and, and find out. The dish said that God can do it, and so he's going to do it. I, I, got no, I have no doubt that God can do what he says he's going to do. And if we believe that God is going to expand his ministry, expand his reach in this community, and if it happens to be through us, praise God. Just jump on board. Stop looking at me with doubt in your eyes. It's going to happen if he wants it to happen, right? But it has to be verified somehow. One of my favorite movies of all time, is Remember the Titans. Yes. You, you, you 
Oh, man, that was such a weak response to that movie. That's such a great movie. That's a classic. It's Denzel at his finest. Okay, all right, so remember the Titans. Um, I'm going to break it down for you, and, and it'll make sense how this fits in here in a minute. Remember the Titans, it, it's based on a true story about uh, a coach named Herman Boone, Coach Boone. Um, and it's set in Alexandria, Virginia, 1971. The year is 1971. Denzel has a fresh fro. It's fantastic. The music is right, right? It's, it's all that good, like, 70s vibes. It's fantastic, right? Um, and, the, and the high school is, out, is called uh, T.C. Williams High School, Alexandria, Alexander, Virginia. This is almost two decades, by the way, after uh, the landmark uh, ruling, board, uh, Brown versus the Board of Education, the ruling that said, the desegregation, that segregation was illegal, ruled segregation in schools illegal. But this was Virginia in the 1970s. They had a whole different view on that ruling. And so they got real creative in Virginia about segregating their schools, right? And I was looking through this to see kind of some of the things that they, they went about, you know, trying to make sure that the students of black, uh, black students and white students were not in the same school. So they changed the, the boundaries, they, they restructured the boundaries so that, you know, certain districts and certain areas were concentrated with certain types of people. They, they changed the, the busing laws and they opposed busing because they didn't, want, they didn't want people from this neighborhood to be bused into this neighborhood to go to school with these kids. They closed schools, even so, went so far as to close entire schools and open new ones so that you wouldn't have this intermingling, intermixing between races. They turn over in their grave seeing seeing this place right here yeah hallelujah they did all of these things made it impossible for there to be unity right this ruling happened in in the 50s this was 1971 1968 the supreme court finally came out and said look virginia stop playing around you need to get this together it's illegal for you to be doing what you're doing now tc williams High school there, they, they, they got real brave. They, they said, okay, we hear you. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to integrate. We're going to do it. We're going to let the buses bring the kids in. We're going to, we're going to, make, we're going to see what happens. And you know what? We're going to go a step further. They were overachievers. I'm going to go a step further. We're going to, to demote the current white high school coach, football coach, who's about to be a Hall of Famer, and we're going to bring in a black football coach in Virginia in the 1970s. Football and tobacco are king in Virginia. And so, of course, I'm going to go through the story real quick. Uh, I, I want you to watch it yourself, but essentially, I, I guess you can guess the community was not happy. Protests, conflicts, threats, etc. The team bonds over a night run to the Gettysburg site, uh, the Civil War site, and Coach Boone delivers the epic line, if we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed, just like they were. He said a lot cooler than that because he's Denzel Washington. I, can't, I don't have that kind of presence. But that's a whole sermon right there, just what he said there, right? But that's like the pivot of the whole story because these students that were fighting and, and there's no way they were going to play together, there was no way they're going to get any kind of success. There was no way this story was going to end well. These students, these athletes, start to bond because they, they catch on to that vision. They catch on to that message and they go, you know what? That's compelling what you're telling me. And the team comes together. They make it to the state championship. 
And as the game comes to an end, they're down one score and they need a miracle. And the rest you have to watch for yourself. I'm not going not to give it to you. Just kidding. It's 20 years. It's, that movie's 20 years old. If you haven't watched it by now, it's your fault. Um, they, 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 they pull off this amazing trick play, right? At the very end, and, 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 and Petey gets the ball. And he runs around, and nobody's going to catch him. And he's, go, go, Petey. And the guy's in the hospital room, and he throws a shoe at the TV because he's so excited. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch the movie. That's on you. But the movie ends with this miraculous ending, the culmination of something that was thought to be impossible. Right Now, if you were to tell that story just to anybody without any kind of verification, they'd say, no, that's, there's no way. There's too many impossibilities. There's too many things in the way there that don't even make sense. There's no way those people will be able to play together and, and go across these obstacles and boundaries. But they verified it by interviewing the players who were there, the coaches who were there, the, the athletes, the, the, the bystanders. They verified that these things happened. And that's the same way we view the resurrection of Jesus. When we come to the resurrection of Jesus, you tell that story to anybody without any kind of proof, without any kind of verification, you're crazy. Like, if, if, if that story does not have some sort of verification, it just seems like a crazy story. Like, you're nuts. There's no way this could happen. God, God does some crazy things, but brings someone from... No, that's nuts. And that's, that's why it's important that we, we walk through this process of seeing how... Jesus verified what he said he was going to do, and he revealed himself to his disciples. Now, I want to jump into our passage for the day, John 20, 11 to 18. This is the first time we see Jesus appearing to his followers. So, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In all the gospel accounts, in every single one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the same thing happens. Jesus reveals himself, either himself or his angels reveal his presence to a certain group of people. And it's not his disciples first. It's not the Pharisees. It's, it's to women. Now, we are in the 21st century. This is 2022. This is the age of gender equality. This is the age where you, I mean, to even, I, I have a little bit of hesitancy even saying women because I'm like, I don't want to say it wrong. I, I just want to make sure that I'm being correct in my speech. No, in this time, for there to be women as the first witnesses 
to this amazing thing would have been unheard of, would have been ludicrous. Because at this time, you got you to imagine, put yourself in the timeline of where you're reading from. When we read scripture, we have to look at it within the proper context, right? So when, when we see that Jesus revealed himself to Mary Magdalene, we have to understand, first of all, the women were not trusted as, as, as trustworthy witnesses. In the court of law, in the Jewish court of law, a woman was not allowed to give witness, to give any kind of, of, of uh, testimony to what had happened because women were not viewed as reliable sources. They thought that the emotions that women went through were too unreliable for them to give a logical response. I'm sorry, women. You all have had it rough. I'm, I apologize for all of mankind. <laughs> We've done you all wrong. I didn't do it, but I'm saying I'm sorry. So for women to be the first people that Jesus would reveal himself to doesn't really make sense. If you were making up a story, if you were trying to, if you were trying to fabricate a story that was absolutely foolproof, you worked out every detail, there was no holes at all in your story, you would not have put women as the first people. Because people have been like, well, that story's garbage. She presented it to women. Of course, they're going to come and say, oh, he was there. Like, like that's, that's what they would have thought, right? So if you're trying to make up a story, you're not going to put women at the forefront. But, but God is not about the way the world works. God is flipping things over. God is about taking those who have been marginalized and, 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 and giving them dignity. God is about taking those who have been forgotten and remembering them by name. God is about taking those who have been shoved aside by society into a corner and saying, I I see you, I elevate you to who I created you to be. Some of you are sitting here right now thinking maybe that I relate to that. I've been shoved aside. I've I've been marginalized. I've been hurt. I've been abused. I've been beaten. And there's nothing for me to say that anybody would believe my testimony doesn't really mean a whole lot. And I want to rebuke that in the name of Jesus because your story is crucial to the kingdom. I want to rebuke the the, the lies and the whispers in your ear that say, no, my story isn't as compelling as so-and-so. I wasn't rescued from addiction. I wasn't, I wasn't rescued from, from uh, prostitution. I wasn't, I wasn't rescued from this life of crazy sin. No, no, your story is crucial to the kingdom. If, if your story is not shared, your testimony is not shared, there's someone out there who may need to relate to your specific situation, but they're not hearing it because you're not, you're not open with it. You're not sharing it. And so in this moment, we have Mary, this woman who by all accounts should not have been a verifiable, should not have been a, a, a trustworthy witness in, this, in the eyes of the culture and the society at that time. And not only was it just any woman, because there was other women that Jesus had as followers who were more influential. Joanna was one of the women who followed him. She was wealthy, and she helped to resource and finance Jesus as they went through and, and spread the gospel message. But Mary, you got to look at her story. Mary Magdalene was, was not from a wealthy family, as far as we know. She was not married, which in that time... As a woman, your worth was in who you were married to. You had rights by the person with whom you were married to. 
She was also, however, passionately devoted to, you said trash, yes, I, I just caught that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Anna, it's fantastic. Um, she was passionately devoted to Jesus. We also know that Jesus healed her by casting out seven demons from her. In Luke 8, 1 to 3, we read, Soon after Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of heaven, he took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. So this is the woman, this is the person that that Jesus chooses to reveal himself to first. Now it's obvious, with all of these things being said, that Mary had a testimony. She had something to say. She had a background. She had something to connect her to Jesus that, that maybe other people didn't. We don't know how long she'd been suffering with this demon possession. We don't know how it manifested itself. We don't know if she attacked people on the random and she was seen in the community as that girl who bites people. Like We don't know. But there was some story there that, that set her apart so specifically that Jesus called her out healed her of those seven demons. And I have to believe and imagine in my mind that Jesus saw her potential and knew that he was going to see her first after he was resurrected. I have to believe that. Mary's testimony had enough power to put her in the position of being at the tomb that day. I want you to to catch on to this fact. Jesus dies. Jesus is buried. The disciples go and cloister themselves somewhere so that they're not found by the Pharisees. The person who is there looking for Jesus is Mary. The person who is searching to try to take after the body of Jesus, the person who is wanting to be near, just just, I just want to be close to the body of Jesus, is Mary. Her testimony, her story, her connection to Jesus was so powerful that she couldn't help but try to find him some way, somehow. If if you have his body, if you've taken it somewhere, I'll carry it myself. There's one commentary I was reading that's saying, we can assume here, or maybe we can can surmise that that Mary was was a a physically fit and large woman capable of carrying a body away, or it's more likely that she was just so passionately devoted to Jesus that she was like, I don't care what it takes. I'm carrying him out of here. I like the second part better. It's a little more, (laughs) it's just better. I I don't know where that commentary was. That commentary was trash. (laughs) Mary did not let her position, her societal position, keep her from, from using her experience with Jesus to get close to him from using her position, her, her experience with Jesus to, to testify to who she thought was a gardener. She didn't know who this guy was. She didn't know if he was a Pharisee. She didn't know if he was a soldier. She assumed that he was just a guard. Where do you have him? I want to I be near him. I want to take him so that I can, I can care for his body because he had an impact on my life that I cannot shake. I can't just get over it. I can't go hide somewhere. I, I have to be near him brings me to that point. Your testimony, your testimony is powerful. Your testimony is crucial. Your story is crucial. What has your experience been with Jesus? Has your experience with Jesus been that powerful? 
Have, has your story, have you really reflected upon your story about how Jesus redeemed you from where you were? Or for some of y'all who maybe just found out about Jesus yesterday, last week, just here, where you are now. Some of you who've been walking with Jesus for whatever you may have done last night or last week and you're thinking, man, I messed up again. Has your story, have you latched onto your story enough to say, he, he took me out of this. He took me from this and he's called me by name and he's redeemed me. And now because of that, I can say, I am a child of God. I am redeemed. And this is the Jesus that, this is the Jesus that did it. And all I want to do is be close to him. All I want to do is be close. All I want to do is know him more and experience him more and share him more. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it takes. I don't care if I have to, whatever it takes. All I want to do is is be close to Jesus. Has your experience been that way? Have you ever sought after him that way? Abandoning all danger, abandoning all societal norms and and saying, I just, man, I just got to spend some time with him. I just got to get in the word. I I need to find out who this Jesus is that everybody keeps talking about. I got to find out, like Rev was saying, who this Jesus is that grandma's walking around the house just praising, cleaning. Like, why is she doing that? Is she crazy? No, she's filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes. So Mary neither had the power or influence to be a a witness, to be a, a reliable Witness, yet she was chosen by Jesus to make the disciples aware of Christ's resurrection and to help spread the gospel message. And through her obedience, the good news was able to be spread. So what's holding you back from being that desperate for Jesus? What's holding you back from using your story and your testimony to to bring light to the good news? Is it expectations that people have on you or expectations you have on yourself? Is it societal expectations? Is it fear of judgment? Man, we live in the social media age, so you say something, it's out there, somebody's coming at you. You can delete that tweet, but somebody saw it. And somebody's going to bring it back up. That's, is it fear of judgment? In your workplace, are you afraid of somebody saying, oh, that's a Christian, let's stay away from him, he's too radical. Is it doubt? Is it that you doubt the testimony that you really, did he really do that? in my life. Did he really do it? It's been so long, it's hard for me to remember the impact. Maybe you need to go back and reflect on where you were at that time when he picked you up, when he called you by name. What has stifled your testimony and not allowed it to have the powerful potential that God intends? I'm going to say that again. What is it that has stifled your testimony, that has bottled it up, that has covered it up in such a way that it doesn't have the power, that it doesn't have the impact, that maybe in your mind you're thinking, ah, it just doesn't have that kind of, that God intends. See, not everyone is delivered from demons, right? Not everyone is rescued from substance addiction or requires a near-death experience. Not everybody's gone through that. In fact, I'm going to say the majority of us have not been through that, right? But everyone who has been redeemed by Jesus is a witness to God's redemptive work. Everyone. If you have been redeemed by Jesus and you call him your savior, you are a witness. And your life is a witness to God's redemptive work. That is the verification that the world needs to see. 
of the goodness and the salvation and the new person that you are. That's that's the verification they need to have. I'm going to say one last time that your testimony may be what's needed for the gospel to be verified to someone who's looking for Jesus. Your testimony. So don't sleep on it. Don't doubt it. Trust that Jesus has something to say through your story.